0: This is the love this is the love this is the love that makes me strong this is the love that makes me strong yeah this
1: is the love this is the love
2: to Dad-Daughter Dialogue. The opportunity lifts up me and my dad's relationship, but hoping this will inspire you to share and chat more with your dad, be it your biological father, grandfather, stepfather, like a father, or any other variation. I am your co-host, Aisha DeBerry, and I am sharing this time with the coolest co-host, my dad, Roy DeBerry.
3: Well, you can see why my daughter and I have such a good relationship because she's known to, to flatter a little bit. But uh, hey, Aisha, how are you? <laughs>
0: I'm good. Uh,
3: glad to be back with you today. And we're just so also very happy to have with us the Fred Waller, uh, hey. the man from Hawaii that's going to be joining us later on to talk about food and fun and all the great things he's doing in that great state of Hawaii. But just good to be back on this podcast. And we hope that the audience will enjoy some of the things we're going to address today.
2: Absolutely. Like Dad mentioned, today we're going to talk about family and food. So sit back, stay tuned, and share love. This is the love.
0: This is the love. This is the love that makes me strong. This is the love that makes me strong. Yeah,
2: This is the love. The heart of the conversation that dad just talked about we want to just pay some time to what is going on um, currently it's it's now May 30th 2020 and I live in Atlanta dad lives in Mississippi and, and many of you may know about all of the things that have gone on with those such as Ahmaud Arbery or George Floyd and um, we really are having a hard time as black folks dealing with this the temperature the temperature right now is hot we've had several protests to occur um all across the nation and really i my my heart goes out to not only the families of so many that have been affected up until this time but also to those that are just kind of caught up in everything that's going on And, and it's interesting because A lot of folks are quoting Martin Luther King to be this peaceful protester and bringing him in as such, but Martin Luther King also spoke, and I'm paraphrasing that, that, you know, it's hard to say, well, stop protesting, but also understanding that people are just fed up and they need some way to express themselves at this time. So we want Dad and I to just say, we uh, hear you, we see you, we care for you, and we love you. And going back to our last podcast, if you tune in, we did talk about voting so that what are kind of some of your thoughts on it before we move forward
3: well thank you Aisha and of course you know we feel strongly for all those lives that has been lost you right you quoted from Dr. King and people tend to call his name sometime in a way that's misunderstand what King was about uh, it's very difficult to get peace without justice the other piece that's important you mentioned the frustration that people have when you have so many examples of black men being killed by the police and nothing is done, they're not charged and not held to account. Mm-hmm. I think historically, if in fact the society had uh, been responsible enough to hold people to account when they do commit murder or they do commit uh, acts of, of violence, then people wouldn't be forced in a position that they are forced in now, which is one of, of frustration. And you're right, the temperature is hot. I think, though, we have to, again, rely on our leaders, whether it be their religious leaders or secular leaders, to help calm the situation. Mm-hmm. And by the same token, uh, say to young people, particularly in the cities of Minnesota and Atlanta and Memphis and wherever, just don't be angry. Organize that anger. Put that anger in a place where it's going to be sustained, where you can make a difference in your community over the long haul. The other thing I would say to my white brothers out there, uh, some of you may have seen some videos that's been done recently that speaks to white women and some white men, too, speaking to the fact that white people themselves got to address institutional racism. Mm.
0: Black
3: people in this country alone cannot solve the problem. This has to be a concerted effort on the part of good white people of goodwill throughout this country who says enough is enough and they wanna see a system that treats everybody with dignity. But you start by, and we don't have time for the day, but education, you start in the community with housing, you start with jobs, you start with medical care, you start with this notion that each human being is valuable. Each human being has value. And if you start from that premise and then make these other things happen, then we can have a better society that King talked about, that sort of good society. We're not there, not even close to being there, but I think we can get there if people decide that they are just sick of, tired of institutional racism, and want to do something about it.
2: So true, Dad. You know, and I want to just bring into the conversation our guest, as mentioned earlier, Fred Waller, who is a cousin of mine and a nephew of my dad's, of course, and just kind of get your perspective, Fred, of what's going on because he's way over on the other side in Hawaii. And just want to see what what you're thinking or feeling right now.
1: You know, like Uncle Roy and you both said, an unfortunate situation right now. The temperature is really hot from what I can see on television. Because here in Hawaii, I don't want to say I'm speaking for the entire island, but I've been here since 1991. And uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes on here. But what I can really say, my opinion with what I'm seeing here, we're not seeing really anything, any protesting or anything happening. And as I was mentioning to you, it also it, it almost makes us, or at least it makes me feel like, you know, it's kind of foreign here in terms of dealing with what, what happens over in the States. It's not foreign because... I'm not affected by it or anything, but just you don't see it like how it's shown all over the television in other places. So I, what I would say, in retrospect to all of that, I would say here in Hawaii, it's about aloha.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's about Ohana. So, and we have a diverse situation here. There's a myriad of different people from all over the world. But once you hit the island, you sort of have to adopt the whole aloha ohana thing Mm. and so that sort of keeps us all together so Mm. that when these things do happen we tend to see each other as cousins Mm. and brothers and uncles and aunties in fact everyone you run into there they call you uncle or auntie Mm. or or cousin um so i think that helps i know it doesn't really uh maybe that's just a band-aid on on a situation but that's what we get out here uh, living in Hawaii. It's 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 about aloha, and it's about ohana, being together as a family, no matter what color you are.
3: That's said well, Fred. That's said well. And perhaps the, the mainland will catch up at some point uh, with the island in that respect. You're absolutely right. Historically, Hawaii is just a whole different animal from the, the mainland. So I'm glad you brought that perspective. It's the fact that each individual... Is treated with a degree of respect and dignity. Because I think that comes down to this whole notion of racism. If you treat people with dignity and you see the humanity in another person, then you won't be racist. There's no need.
2: Right. Yes, thank you, you know, Fred, so much for giving that perspective. And you said something, you know, along the lines of people are treated like uncles and aunties. And so that's a great segue for us to talk about our family. And um, I also want to send love out to all of our family that's going through this time and, and monitoring this trauma that we see on social media and on the news. But so ha- I'm so glad to be able to say that I have this large family of folks that love and care for each other to get through these moments. Because it sounds to me in Hawaii, that's what you have, an extended Size of family, right, everyone comes in, but I want to um take this time to highlight our family as we transition from um currently where we are and hurt and talk about some good things that we can be happy about so um, I'll, you know, I'll just start off by saying we decided, Dad and I decided to do this podcast today to talk about family reunions because many of you that are listening may have experienced this. You know, summertime is for family reunions. Unfortunately, where we are in this pandemic, we can't get together. So we thought it'd be great to still highlight what who we are and what we enjoy doing every summer and hope some of you out there can relate to it. And for those that can't, maybe that'll encourage you to uh, gather together during this time or think about starting something where you can get to know your family so i'll just give a little history dad knows it way better than i but a couple of years ago our family got together and and documented how we started this thing so i'll just read a little excerpt from our book that we put together to give you an introduction But the DeBerry and Wilkins families have gotten together annually for 40 years for reconnections, fun, and fellowship. However, the reunions are so much more, more than how we party and what we eat. The celebration is about a strong and proud people of a family that left the South and trekked North during the Great Migration, and another one which remained in the South. Our families are unique because we come together not as blood connections, but based on love, deep friendship, and an incredible historical bond each year we are called upon to articulate the important imperative part to share history and we have a value of family and the need for young people is what we really uh lift up so that they can get to know who they are and move forward with the debarry wilkins legacy so that's just a little bit of an introduction but dad can you kind of elaborate a little bit more for our, our viewers
3: well i think you've hit on the introduction briefly this notion of family reunion in terms of our family dates back to not blood relatives, but friends. And you mentioned friendship in that short excerpt there. And that was Roy DeBerry uh, on our side and Wilkins on the other side. And Wilkins and my parents uh, worked together in Mississippi, lived during, before the Depression, but uh, during the Depression. And before that, my grandparents and their great parents uh, knew each other. During the Great Migration, when a lot of Blacks left the South, and particularly left a place like Holly Springs, Mississippi and Benton County, Mississippi, they tend to go to Chicago or they went to Detroit or they went to Cleveland. In the case of the Wilkins, they went to Cleveland. But over those years, uh, my dad and mom decided for whatever reason to stay in the South. But over the years, they stayed in touch with each other. And every year, the Wilkins would come down to Mississippi to visit with my grandparents, as well as my parents. My parents never had the opportunity to go to Cleveland, and so when I was in high school and college, I used to listen to them as they would visit each other on the porch, and I saw that close relationship that my mother had with Miss Helen Wilkins, and dad had with Clarence Wilkins, and my dad had with Mr. K.C. Wilkins. But in addition to that, my dad also was a gospel singer, and Mr. K.C. Wilkins was also a member of that group called the Faithful Few. And of course, my dad was kind of disappointed when Mr. KC left his group and had to go to Cleveland. But over the time, we talked and they talked and they finally decided, and we finally decided to reciprocate. Instead of them coming always to the South to visit us, we decided to go to Cleveland in 1978. Uh, When I said we, I mean some of my brothers and, and, and my wife, Ruby, you were not born at that point. And my mom and dad, James, my oldest brother, Ron, we decided to go to Cleveland and that was the first time we had been in Cleveland. First time my dad had been in Cleveland, So my dad had a chance to visit with the Wilkins and a chance to visit specifically with his friend, Mr. KC. And that was just a beautiful time. At the time we pretty much did not stay in hotels. We stayed in houses, the people homes. They put us up and we cooked ourselves, barbecued. So it was really a family get together. And from that we talked about this need to institutionalize a reunion and not have it just in Cleveland, but to take it south and alternate every year. And then after we had got to a certain age, we asked that the next generation, which is your generation and Fred's generation and uh, Sakita's generation and NASA's generation could carry on. And so that's where we are now. As you point out, we have a pandemic, so we won't be able to have our reunion this year in Savannah, Georgia. But in terms of numbers, we had grown from maybe 10 or 15 people up to a height of 150 people because these families started to expand and grow. And each one of these uh, reunions, we had an opportunity not only to get together to talk about food and to talk about stories and trade war stories, mm-hmm. it was also an opportunity to have a scholarship. You know, we set up a scholarship fund uh, for graduating seniors from high school and ones that graduate from college and want to go on to pursue an advanced degree, we would try to give them a nice little stipend as a way to show appreciation. So that's now institutionalized. Hopefully Mm -hmm. that would go on and on and on as we hope that this reunion would go into the 22nd century. We have done it for you 40 years and we hope that it will go for another 40 years. It's a wonderful time. It's a wonderful time for us to get together with our blood relatives. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful time for us to get together with our friendship relatives. And these are people that, even though they're not blood relatives, they seem like our relatives because Mm -hmm. my mom and dad, my grandparents talked about these people and these people have talked about us for all those years. And it's a unique thing. I don't know of any other family that does it that way, where we have a reunion that not with our blood relatives, but with 50% of them being non-blood relatives, but based on friendship.
2: I know it is. That is just so amazing. and The fact that we've been able to do it for so long is just amazing. I mean, I even like to just brag every time when I get ready to tell folks I'm getting ready to go to the reunion. I'm like, yep, we're having a family reunion. I can't miss it. I'm going to see my cousins, and I just go on and on about it. So it's always been something that I have enjoyed going to. I know Fred has as well, so he can't wait to tell his side. So it's just, you know, it's so many stories that we have from that those summer experiences. And I'm so glad that we've been able to keep it together. I think I'm it's important, you. too, that we get together like that.
3: Thank you. I just add one other point to that, is that, you know, you had talked about diaspora last time. We talked about a name. Mm-hmm. And reunions, and this is not unique to Black people. I think all people have reunions. But the thing that I think would make our reunion so unique, so unique is that not only did we have the diaspora from Africa here, but we had a diaspora when Africans, you know, were in the north and then they came south. And then there was another diaspora, in my judgment, when Black people in the south went north. Mm-hmm. And then there's another diaspora that's taken place over the last 10 or 15 years where a lot of Blacks have now moved away from the North again, back South.
0: Mm -hmm. But all
3: during this time with these diasporas, uh, there's always been that thrust to uh, reconnect and stay connected. And reunions are a way to do that. But it's also a time for fun and fellowship, which we talk about later, Mm -hmm. and some humor as well, because one of the things about our people, as you know, Mm -hmm. the ones that went North oftentimes made people in the South, particularly rural area, you know feel like they were the country bumping all the time they, they had gone off to the big city and mm-hmm. been with the lights and uh living in the big homes and had the big cars and of course <laughs> would come down with their flashy suits on and i always wondered whether some of those suits may have been rented i found out uh-huh. later that some of them were uh the other thing about those uh <laughs> those, those, ca- those all those cadillacs that they used to drive back down as well Sometimes I wonder whether some of the Cadillacs were old or read it as well. But anyway. Well, so to
2: all the Wilkins, he's he talking about you, okay? He's talking about you if you listen to the call or listen
3: to the podcast. <laughs> so, so, so reunions are full of men as well. You know, it's a chance to be Brazio and kind of up my you know, who has got a little bit more than the other. But it's all done in good uh, good fun and, and laughter. <laughs> And you know, we used to have some real comedians in the family, on our side, in the Wilkins family. We still have A lot it. of times they would sit side yeah. and be aware of that, and you too, Get yeah, them old folks tell those dirty jokes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we had some real comedians as well. And uh, they, those people are a mess. They are like the icons that are gone. Yeah. And we'll be we missed. Some of these people are truly poets. I mean, you just listen to them for hours and hours, tell stories. But anyway that's just that's just an aside
2: no that's the beautiful thing about the reunion it, you know fred and i and a couple of other cousins are on a group text and we were just going down the list of the people that we miss you know that have passed on and just been you know just great people in our family because they were jokesters or they you know they ran with you what wherever you were going or those are just people that you leaned on or looked up to so rest in heaven to all of our ancestors that have passed on um, that we missed to be a part of the family reunion. And again, a lot of those names we wouldn't have known if we didn't have a family reunion. So um, I think the bonds that we have now are because of the times that we not only spend together throughout the year, but at least that one time we know we can all get together. So I appreciate you, Dad, kind of lifting that up. But, you know, with all family reunions, even though we talked about the excerpt that Uh, Family reunions are not just about food. Food is a big part, so let's not play around, Dad. That is a big part of the reunion, even though Dad always likes to make fun of the situation of what we eat. He's like, you don't eat all that fried chicken. You know, Dad is (laughs) always a, he was the pre-gluten-free vegan person before that was a thing. Trust me when I say I know that. I would eat wheat germ before that was popular. Not that I wanted to, but anyway, so, um, we, you know, wow. gather over food. And so that is why we bought our fabulous or my fabulous cousin Fred to just talk a little bit about, I mean, even if you want to share about the Fred's reunion too, but also about how you got into cooking food and, and serving food and that kind of thing. We just want to know all about you, Fred, take it away.
3: Before Fred starts, uh, let me just do a, uh, uh, a... A plug, oh, that's right. yes. a plug for Fred's grandparents, uh, his his grandmother, uh, uh, his mother, his grandmother, but his dad's uh, mom uh, owned a cafe for years in Hollis Springs. So she was around food. And of course, his mother, Doris, my sister, did food. And Doris' mama, Mama Ellen, was also a person who, who was a great cook. So mm-hmm. Fred comes from a great breed of people that knew their way around the kitchen. So Absolutely. up to you, Fred.
1: You know, it's so funny when you just said, my grandmother on my dad's side owned a cafe.
3: She ran a cafe. Miss Modena ran a cafe for years, yes. uh, Who?
0: Fred Mom,
1: Huh? Yes. Who are we talking about? Clara? Yeah. I did not know that. Oh, yeah. Back there on the corner on Memphis Street. Unreal. I mean, well, here we are again, learning something new every day. I didn't That's I know right. that? I I knew that there were a lot of amazing cooks and chefs throughout the the family, probably on both sides. I I remember going to Mama Clara's house, and man, she could make some cakes that would seem to jump out out of the off the table <laughs> into the car, in a sense. <laughs> I mean, so fluffy, like like it was a cloud. <laughs> we used to walk from Big Mama's house to Mama Mama Clara's house. Just for the cake. Now it was some good cakes and and pies going on at Big Mama's house too. Now, but it was something about Mama Clara cakes, and we would always when we would see her at church, we would say, "Did you make a cake?" And, said, nah. and I, she said, "Yeah, come on over." And 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 sure enough, we would definitely go over there, even though we wanted to be playing with all our cousins at Big Mama's house for sure. But we didn't miss a beat on trying to go get that cake. So with, with that being said, yeah, you, yeah, you're right. The food has always been something that I've been around because uh, mom, with her being around Mom Ellen, and she always reminds me that she was one of a few that spent a whole lot of time with Mom Ellen because all the rest mm-hmm. of her siblings were with her, with Big Mama. And I guess she was one of the more fortunate ones to get a lot of one-on-one with Mom Ellen and, and, mm-hmm. and Papa them. So she, I think she picked up and learned a lot from her mom and her grandmother and so I saw a lot of it Mm -hmm. and yeah and and I didn't know that I would be one day uh moving the crowd because that's what got me involved in food and restaurant so just kind of jump from my love and why I do what I do it's because I'd say again I like food fast not (laughs) fast food Mm
0: -hmm. yeah I like food
3: business. fast. Food fast. Like fast food. Right. Fred sure. in Hawaii. I know you've trained under some of the. You of course you have something called Green Thumbs business now, which I should mention. But let's go back a little bit. How how you went to Hawaii initially in 1991?
1: I, yeah, I was in Memphis and uh, doing some cooking, working uh, right there in uh, Germantown and with the Belts that own the Peabody Hotel, which is a well-renowned kind of situation. You know, everyone knows about Peabody and the uh, shots out to Peabody Hotel in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I got around some of them chefs and, and learned that cuisine right there in Memphis. Not necessarily sold, but it was uh, a high-end style of cooking. A mm-hmm. little Mediterranean, Italian, so on and so forth. Joined the military uh, as a food service specialist. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was an amazing um Opportunity for me because I I could have done something different. I had scored high enough to probably fly a plane. I don't know if y'all wanted,
0: mm-hmm. would
1: want me to do that or not. But <laughs> uh but I chose I chose food service because I was familiar with it and I knew because I I'm the type of kid when I was growing up I like to do things I know I can do well. Mm-hmm. I would jump out there first. So I knew cooking would be my thing. I didn't have to really learn that. I just needed to. Kind of fine tune it, an opportunity to kind of maybe learn some more and just sharpen what i what I already knew, and so I ran with that, and I, and and I did. I exceeded the expectations in terms of the schooling. I fat I was a fast tracker. I did well in basic training because I wasn't a guy that was fighting anything. So long story short, came to Hawaii, food service specialist. I got out of the military three years after serving. Troops and and soldiers that would go out, you know, we were the support. And like I joked, not to jump off such the same subject, I was joking with my son one day, and I told him when we were talking to a military guy, I may not ever see him in terms of because of the job he does, unless I go and visit him, unless I go to the doctor, or unless I had a, a issue with administrative or whatever. That would be the only way I would see him. But mm-hmm. all of them saw us. You had to come see us. You needed to eat, and that's who we are. We take care of that tummy. So, yeah, uh, got here in 91, after joining in 90, stayed in the military three years, got out, decided to stay here because I saw so much opportunity, and it wasn't enough of us, it wasn't enough of us here, so I kind of wanted to represent. Uh, and then Aloha with a Southern hospitality, it was OV. It, yeah. I it was a done deal for me.
3: That's fantastic. So you worked on that some initial because I know when I visited you in Hawaii, I can't I can't remember in, but it was late nineties maybe early maybe after 2011. But at the time, I think you had worked on it a well-known shelf, and I think you gave sure. me a book. Uh, would you just share a little bit about him and that experience you had?
1: Yeah, it's so funny that you say that. Sam Choice, that shout mm-hmm. out to Big Sam. Uh, big Sam was a big shelf, and he was a big guy. And I I remember he used to wear a shirt. He had T-shirts that said "Never Trust a Skinny Chef." If <laughs> <laughs> anybody
2: knows Fred, Fred is skinny.
1: <laughs> you know, I made sure I got one of those shirts and wore it proudly. Uh, <laughs> I knew that he, he didn't know what he was getting himself into. Uh, with talking about "Never Trust a Skinny Chef," I I had that kind of attitude. I run circles around. <laughs> Yes, you know, big boy. So, yeah, that's how Sam and I met. I applied for a position with Sam Choi. He's, uh, he writes books and have dressings, and he was the face back then of culinary, uh, mm-hmm. food service in Hawaii. You would see him on soya trucks. Uh, he would be on television talking about his restaurants, and he had uh, many of them. So I joined as a cook. Didn't take long for Sam and his entire team to realize that they didn't just have a cook. They had someone that they wanted to uh, kind of incorporate what they were doing. They mm-hmm. were putting out amazing food. But again, can you get this food out fast?
0: Mm-hmm. No one
1: wants to wait until th- their stomach just growling and, and then they're not even hungry anymore before the food gets to the table. And they saw the urgency. And I got that from mom. Them And, I, and, and being with the military, it was it, it brought a whole other game because now I can cook and bulk. I know how to move the crowd, if you will. And so I just can pass that up. But you're right. Yeah, I've, I've worked with Sam Choice and uh went out to uh, after I left Honolulu, I went to Maui, opened and closed some restaurants for him. Some we opened. I've opened some restaurants for Sam and I've closed some restaurants with Sam. So I've I've got an opportunity to see both ends of, of that spectrum. And um, uh, but yeah, it's just a whole thing about moving with a sense of urgency, moving the crowd. Putting out food fast and uh, and then loving it. I mm-hmm. mean, I love to see people at all when that food comes out, great, fast, and it tastes great. You know, mm-hmm. because my saying is this. And then and I'm gonna get off get off this horse. It ain't about making heat. I mean, or taking the heat, but can you make heat? That's what it's about, making heat, not just taking heat. Some people come to the kitchen they fumble around and never get anything going. It's Mm -hmm. about getting in there, knowing what you're doing, get it done, and then be able to sit down with your guests because you can put it all together like that.
3: I won't tell you as an uncle that I'm in awe of you, man. I know you're kind of modest, but uh, if you would, just uh, Anisha may be aware of this story as well. You know, I'm full of stories, by the way, as you know. uh, In New Orleans, a reunion that took place uh, right after uh, Katrina, and I remember so vividly uh, us being at a restaurant and the people were uh, really frustrated and behind the yep. large crowd of people. We kept there and you just went to the kitchen and took over what you just shared with us. Because to me, <laughs> that, that, that really speaks to your thing about not just
1: good food, but not fast food, but food, food fast. fast. Right. You know, and of course I come from a family that, and I think of you all the time when, I, when I'm getting ready to say this, that leads the way. So I wasn't going to sit around and act like I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And I was so at home and that was my realm of things. So I just saw opportunity. And You're right. They were what we call in the weeds is mm-hmm. what was going on. And they just needed somebody to kind of jump in because the manager was probably not to dog them out. They were busy. It was a lot going on, yeah. but the manager probably was hiding and uh and the bartender was trying to deflect things and servers was overwhelmed and the front and the and the hostess was uh unavailable. So that was just too many things not going right that I could jump in <laughs> and throw Fred's system in place. And so you're right. I, I wanted to help them, but I wanted to take care of my people. You know, mm-hmm. here we are. Yeah. yeah, and we can't be sitting here all day waiting on y'all to figure it out. So I remember asking, could they seat us and accommodate us? And they were like, Oh no. You know, and I saw a whole empty area. And yeah, the dining room is full, but I jumped on it. I told them, well, look, this is what I'm going to do. In my mind, I said, I'm going to take the orders, and I'm going to coordinate, and we're going to get this food out, even if I have to serve it. And if they need some help in the kitchen, I'll volunteer my (laughs) service as well. I've done this before. And uh, and they were just blown away. The people at the restaurant was like, wait a minute. I mean, did you, what did you say? We were
3: blown away too.
1: (laughs) Okay. Yeah, but it (laughs) I, I didn't know what else to do other than just jump in.
3: But you saved us. You saved us, no question, man. And, yeah. you know, New Orleans, which is has a reputation for having great food. But I tell you what, you took it a whole nother lunch that evening. So thanks you. I had a that. lot of fun. I threw yeah. that out. Yes. Yeah.
2: It's, it's yeah. interesting, Fred, you know, as you're talking, what I know you talked a little bit about what you like to do when, when you see people serve the food, but where do you think, this passion
1: for you for food came from? You know, just growing up around it, watching mom. You know, uh, I remember when she would cook a uh, man and you know, and how passionate mom and Mama Mella and Big Mama, because that's one thing about it. I like to play outside and do other things, but I wasn't afraid to see what was going on in the kitchen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It was just something about the kitchen that I wanted to be around. And so my passion come come from watching them, watching Mom Melon. I remember being at my Melon's house, and she would get up before everyone else woke up. Same with Big Mama, too. That's probably, they all would do the same thing, basically. Same with Mom. They'd be up, and you can hear some stuff, and you kind of like trying to get the stuff out of your eyes and, <laughs> and get up, but you could smell some stuff going on. And, uh, and before it would be all done, I would be already trying to see what's going on. So I was eating the raw dough. That from the biscuits, Mama would when she made cakes, she would leave the spoons because she knew I wanted that. Mm -hmm. I I was eating, and I know you shouldn't eat cookie dough uh, or or biscuit dough, but I did. (laughs) And live, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Probably some kids still do that, and I would still take the spoon uh, from something being made by Mom or uh, whomever. But yeah, it it just comes from being around it, you know. Just and then the garden was right there. I mean, Big Daddy had us in the garden up right there outside of uh, my Ellen's yard. Mm-hmm. And so we were going to get the the uh, blackberries. We were going, we was out there messing with beans and shooking and beans and peeling this and messing with squash. And so when you're when you and getting eggs out the chicken coop, I mean, I, when I get to thinking about it, yeah, it was always around us. I didn't have somebody teaching us about how to shoot weapons. I did go a little, do a little hunting and fishing. Mm-hmm. What I've heard about my dad, he was a great fisherman mm-hmm. as well. So it's just in me to want to be around food service
3: mm-hmm.
1: and cater to people and, uh, and and put people at awe and, uh, and exceed it. You, know, you know,
3: again, about another story. I lived in Jackson for a while. and You know, if we had you, I want you to come down. You may have come down while I was in Jackson because I knew this guy who owned a restaurant. And uh, he wanted to kind of expand to this Asian cuisine, So I had you come down and I think you spent a little time in the kitchen with him. And man, you know, one of the things he said to me afterwards, can you get that Fred Waller back down here (laughs) uh, to take over one of my restaurants? As a matter of fact, he wanted you to come up. And of course it didn't work out because you had some other things on your plate, but the guy was so impressed with you after one meeting. Mm. They wanted you to come down and run his whole Asian restaurant. So do do you remember that story? I do remember.
1: And you know, and here's the thing with, when it comes to food service, whether it's in Mississippi or in Japan, at the end of the day, everybody trying to do the same thing. Get some good food out fast, Mm -hmm. period. And it it doesn't matter whether it's watercress or if it's collard greens or whatever vegetable that you're working with, depending on where you live, get it out right and make sure that it's presented in a way where you eat with your eyes first. Mm -hmm. And, And that was the key. And so when I went, down there and met with your friend uh that's what I was trying to bring and bring to the table that it doesn't matter what your strengths are or your weaknesses let's figure it out and everybody got their own skill set and let's use what he's good at if he's good at sweeping then we're gonna let him sweep we're gonna put him on the fryer because Mm -hmm. he's gonna be over there in the weeds so, you know, just being able to master using everyone's skill set, and and that's what I try to bring to the table. I, I peep game, see what's going on, scan my sector, and then, you know, and operate from there. And so I just sat back and listened and watched, and then I engaged and told them and, and, and jumped right in with them. I ain't running from nothing.
3: Well, you're good at what you do, man. I love your food, too, by the way. You can cook. Yes. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Guys. Yeah,
2: I second that as well. And it's interesting, Fred. We talked about this on our last podcast about entrepreneurship and really being able to utilize the skills that you already have to really start a business. And it sounds to me like you have these two skills. You have the skill of being able to cook. That's your gift. And then you also have this skill of time management and logistics. So you are like a force to be reckoned with. Like Dad said, you acting real modest, but you are a force when it comes to putting those two together. Because the fact of the matter that you can go into a restaurant and be like, okay, I'm just going to take the whole thing over, says that you have a gift. So just I'm just proud to know you. I'm just glad Thank you're my cousin.
1: I feel the same way. I <laughs> every day, every, every time I wake up, I know for sure. I got a beautiful family, and I just can't wait to, you know, get with you guys like this in this kind of setting and be able to reminisce.
3: Only thing about the food, would you tell us a little bit about the, I know some of the reunions you were able to make, some of you were not because of where you were. Tell them what, just since we're talking about reunion and food, what the reunions have meant for you personally and for the
1: family. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, I love reunions. You know, earlier when you was talking about how unique our reunion is, to Be reunion with uh family and friends, mm-hmm. and so the friend part is what made me think about yeah, I, I remember I love getting with the family and I missed a few, but I also love getting with the friends mm-hmm. because you know, there's a saying where people always say, You know, you better before you start coding them, you better make sure that they ain't your relatives. <laughs> so, you know, That might be your cousin or something. Okay. But but in this case, we knew who the cousins were and who were the play cousins. Yeah. So we look look very forward to the play cousins (laughs) showing (laughs) up.
2: If anyone doesn't realize, Fred also misses calling as a comedian. Just
3: (laughs) (laughs) But you know. But that's very true, Fred, that you talk about uh, reunions and cousins and friendship with my (laughs) brother. My brother, Willie, Willie was <laughs> he remembers right. this story? He had gone to Oxford. This is one of my grandfathers, you know, Houston, you know, papa, uh, brother's child. And uh, he was trying to code, her. It turned out, you know, they would have been like first cousins. Mm-hmm. So uh, they started talking about, well, who are your folk? And she said, well, uh, I'm a cure And he said, who are your folks? He said, d He said, said who are your mama? She said, she's a McQA. they said, well, yeah, we kid folk. So you can go another <laughs> way. <laughs> so, but reunions, but, but, but reunions are very good, though, because they can help you find that. Otherwise, you may not know.
1: <laughs> that, that, that's super true. But yeah, I, I enjoyed going to the reunions, having all the fun, all the activities that we would put together. That I'm sure you guys are still doing it. It's been a few years. But mm-hmm. you know, every time I do make it to one, uh, man, it's just it's an overwhelming feeling. I'm going to do a better job with making sure I get my kids more involved with reunions because it's just been a big transition with being out here and, and trying to run a business and, and, and raise kids and, and, and all this other good stuff, but it's no excuse. I'm going to do a lot better. And in fact, I wanted to make it to this one this year, but here we are. But yeah, it's, 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 I love going to reunions. I love running, playing, having so much fun, winning. Uh, good opportunity. Oh yeah. Winning, I always win. I always want to win. I never play anything just to play it. I don't yeah, care. I
3: That's
1: the
2: truth. Even in kickball, Basically. down the on kickball is competitive with the poor little kids.
1: Yes. It, and I mean it, I pick up a ball whether it's basketball, football, baseball, bowling. My mindset is to win, so you got to you got to bring your A game. Even if I don't have no game, I want to
2: win. <laughs> As you can see, we have a lot of fun at the Federal Union. Were there any closing words, Fred? You just want to share with us before we, you know, come to a close for today? You know what an amazing
1: experience. You know to sit here with the honest dad and daughter dialogue. Uh, kind of situation you know i had my son ask me i wonder if we could do a a a father and son dialogue yes i I told him possibly but you know to be able to be here and sharing this moment with you guys is uh more than words that i can say I, i can't even describe really the feeling it's it's an honor i talk about you guys all the time and so i'm just very appreciative and i'm humbled by this experience and and i'm glad that uh that i'm i was able to be here with you guys today because it's just it's gonna really do something for my day today for sure you know it just it's lifted me you know the smiles and the joy you know and Mm -hmm. you can feel this stuff you can feel these vibrations sensations all the way across the the pacific
0: Mm -hmm. i feel the
1: aloha and Mm -hmm. uh and so I'm just—I thank God every day that I, I had an opportunity uh, to grow up around you guys, uh, thank because you. that's thank what you. I say. Dad, my my dad may not been there, but I had a lot of dads mm. and a lot of moms. And you so, did. so I, I, thank right. and I thank all of you.
0: We took a village.
3: Exactly. We 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 did all that. We said and thankful for those kind remarks you you sent to Aisha and yeah. uh, yours truly regarding how when you saw the first podcast, what it meant. Uh, that meant a lot to me. I know it meant a lot to Aisha as well. No, absolutely. this is real. This is something we feel. This is something that we didn't start. You can't fake relationships. They're either right. real or they're false. And uh, people can, like a baby, they they, they know the difference. Absolutely, right.
2: absolutely. And just like you said, Fred, we're hoping that this podcast, is even if you don't have the relationship with your dad, there may be someone else in your life that's like a dad or some other variation. So check in with them as we get closer, as we move into Father's Day. Thank you so much, Fred, for being with us. I know you early, you're up early to be with us, so we love you and appreciate you, um, you for that. And we, I'm so glad I learned some more stuff, Dad, just about you know what fred has done i haven't known everything that he's done so some of these things are new to me so again that's why we have this podcast it just makes me that much more proud to know you not that i didn't love you any less but now i love you even more to know all the wonderful things that you've been doing so again thank you fred for being online and we just want to say thank you all listeners for tuning in i hope that this is uh made you think about your family and if you don't have a family reunion maybe you all like I said earlier should get together and just get on a zoom call we're in a pandemic we've been doing it in our family just give it a try it doesn't have to be everybody just a few folks to come together check on them see how they're doing share some laughs and jokes just like we did here today so hope you enjoy next week we're going to reach out to my mom and possibly some other folks, special guests, to talk about, we're gonna extend it, even with this food piece, but talk about physical health and some possible healthy recipes that you can create on your own while you're in this pandemic, especially since some places are scarce like grocery stores and the like. So please be sure to tune in. You don't wanna, wanna miss out on that episode. And as always, like Dad and I say, remember to be safe and share love
3: one love and protect each other brothers and sisters out there across America. One love. Aloha!
2: (laughs) If you would like to contact us, email daddaughterdialogues at gmail.com and let us know how we're doing as well as what you'd like to hear us discuss. We are now on Facebook too at Dialogue, So you can comment there as well. We appreciate you tuning in and ask wherever you are, even if you're in Hawaii, be and stay safe. I
3: know, That's I it. love,
0: this is the love, this is the love, oh, y'all, y'all this is the love that makes me strong, this is the love that makes me strong, this is the love, this is the love, this is the love. This is the love strong this is the love that makes me strong this is, this is the love this is the love this is the love this is the love that makes me strong this is the love that makes me strong yeah this is the love